Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. This is our second week on this topic of obedience. It's just two weeks back to back. Uh, we'd encourage you to get a copy of uh, the download from last week. You can get it on iTunes or on our website. Uh, just to understand that position that we take on obedience more. Um, obedience appears to be, to many in life, you know, it's about subjugation. It's about one person dominating somebody else. It's about subservience. You know, religion will tell you that. Religion will tell you about obedience being something, you know, woe is me, I can't survive. But, and maybe you've come from situations where there's violence or there's, there's uh, control. Um, that's not the obedience in the Bible. The obedience in the Bible is a very different topic. And as we looked at that, that piece of drama earlier, we saw the Barabbas story and brilliantly brought out how Barabbas tried to change his world. That, the whole thing is a created piece of drama, but it just shows you that if you just try and change the world in your own strength, you won't do it. You need to be obedient to the one who created the world to change the world. If you, if you listen to God, you can change your world and you will change the world. There's incredible power in it. And so God's perspective on obedience is about love first. For God so loved that he gave. Love is at the center of his personality. It's at the center of the relationship he wants with every human being on this earth. And it's open to all. To all who would come to him, the door is open. There's no restriction on that. And God's perspective on obedience, biblical obedience, is about love and about trust and about action. Love and trust and action. It's not about control. It's about loving first. For God so loved, he gave. And our response to God, our obedient response to him is, is not under a controlling God. It's, it's respond, responding to the fact that he has loved us first. He loves us first. We looked at the book of uh, the story of Noah last week, and God knew what would happen beyond the flood. God knew beyond the step of obedience, and God knows beyond your step of obedience. He knows what you are going to walk through in life. He knows it. He knows it so well that he says, if you just listen to me, I'll help you navigate it. So obedience to God is about him navigating your journey that you haven't even got to yet. God knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything about your life. He knows who you are. He knows how you were made. He knows all the things you prioritize over him. He still loves you. He knows the way in which you put yourself first, the way you create your own system of obedience to other things, but yet God still loves you. And he says, but look, come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, and you'll find rest. Why? Because he knows what's beyond your own obedience to him. He knows he'll navigate you through that journey. And so that's why it's about love and trust. You trust. I loved it this morning. Did you see Seth walking around with Mark doing, doing the offering? He's got to be our youngest steward in the church. Mark is training him young. He, said, he gave me a high five. I thought it was great. It almost took my hand off, actually. Um, but love and trust and action. That's it. That's all obedience is biblically. But Jesus did that. And he demonstrated it to us. And look at that verse from Hebrews 5, verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He had to learn it. We don't get out of bed each morning thinking, you know what, I'm perfect. Maybe you do. (laughs) 
I certainly don't. But, you know, if you get up each day thinking that actually it all starts and stops with you, so wrong, so wrong. There's a much bigger picture in this world, and God is guiding us through this world. So love and trust and action. Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to, strange enough, learn to love. Is that possible? Jesus, we know, is a man, but he's also God. We know from the scriptures, love and trust, he had to take action. It was, you know, people are arrogant. People are proud. People think, you know, I'll do my own thing. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know my story. You don't know Prince's story. You don't know Astrid's story. A man who was with his family in Kosovo during a time where people were getting killed for faith. A man from a Muslim background who is now a trained pastor and doing what God wants him to do. You don't know Eric's story. You don't know Luke's story. You don't know Tim's story. You don't know Chris's story. You don't know anybody else's story but your own. But each story has got to follow the same pattern, to love and trust and to take action. And so when we talk about obedience, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about taking steps that really are steps of faith. You know, Jesus' obedience led to, I like this huge word, preeminence. I was trying to think of a big word that rhymed with obedience, and so preeminence was about as close as I could get. But Jesus demonstrated his obedience, and it led to preeminence. It says that he was, and that word preeminence means distinctive above all others. Distinctive above in greatness, excellence, in stature, in status, and in achievement. How can all that come from obedience? That's what obedience gives you. So God says, if you learn to be obedient to me, it's actually you realizing that you love me, that you trust me, and you take action. And that's what Jesus did. And what did God give him? Distinction above all others in, in greatness, excellence, in stature, in status, and achievement. Who in this world doesn't want that stuff? You know, some people fight the hard way to, to get and see the things they want to have happen. But the path to your greatest possibilities will come through your obedience your love, your trust, and your action. If you think you can do it on your own, you will not succeed. This world is littered with the, 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 the relics of people who thought they could do it on their own. God knows the big picture. And this morning, we're going to talk about that big th- picture. We're going to ask ourselves a few questions. You know, um, it says, we know that today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means he was raised from the dead. We know that on Friday, he was crucified. And on Sunday, he rose to life. And it's something we celebrate in the centre of our Christian faith, our following of Jesus. It's the centre of what we believe. But we're going to ask a few questions. There's some small questions this morning. The first one is, what led us to Easter? What led us to Easter? Was Easter just something that happened? It all happened through Jesus during his life only? Well, it's true. It did happen through his life. But Easter was pre-planned by God a long, long time ago. In fact, before the creation of the world, God planned Easter. God planned Easter and he planned to put things in place that would show the whole of the world that it was all part of his plan. He planned to put in place. He planned to destroy sin. He planned to do that because sin is destroying this world. That's what he planned to do. He planned to do what you can't do. You cannot stop the sin of this world in your own strength. You can be part of the sin of this world or you can go and step out of the sin of this world and say, Lord, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Part of the solution. God's intentional plan is to destroy sin in the world and to restore relationship with himself. Incredible things. How on earth would you do that if you were God? How would you destroy sin? How would you stop all the bad stuff happening? How would you you do it? How would you restore uh, relationship with God the creator? How would you do it? 
It's beyond us, isn't it? It's beyond you and me. We cannot get our head around the magnitude of what this is. But God did. God made a plan. And his plan was demonstrated in history. And we read, um, if you go back three and a half thousand years, you go back to the Exodus story um, in Egypt, when the whole nation of Israel had grown to a population of over three and a half million people. And God uses that illustration as his pattern of what it means in redemption. In other words, to be drawn back to God, to destroy sin and restore relationship. And he laid that down three and a half thousand years ago as a pattern for the future. In fact, the whole Jewish nation, the Israelites and their whole nation that was subsequently formed, God's using them as a vehicle to demonstrate his eternal plan for mankind. And that's why that nation is under so much persecution in the world. You do realise, don't you? That's the reason. Because God has modelled his pattern and plan for eternity through the nation of Israel. Why do you think there's so much stuff going on with ISIS? Why is there so much stuff going on in the Middle East? Why is there so much persecution? Why has it gone absolutely insane in the last couple of years? Why? Because behind all this is, is spiritual truth that is unpacking itself. And if you take a step back and go, you know, I, I'm not bothered, it doesn't affect me. Let me tell you, what's going on in this world affects everybody. And God knows what he's doing. And God's plan is to eradicate sin from this world, which is a brilliant thing. But going back to Exodus, we read in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible in the Old Testament, we read in Exodus 23, verses 14 and 15, it says, Each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honour. First, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, which is the festival called Passover. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring, which is this weekend. In the month of Abib, for that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. No one may appear before me without an offering. So God, three and a half thousand years ago, used this whole nation of Israel as a picture of what he was going to do through Jesus Christ. It was already pre-planned. It wasn't just a random thing. This is not a religious thing. This is a pre-planned thing. And as you sit here this morning, either switching on or switching off, whatever you choose, this is God's pre-planned purpose in this world. And that's what he's done. He, as he released those Israelites, um, something happened and, and there was a thing called Passover took place. And God instructed the Israelites to remember it. And in that Passover, a spotless lamb had to be sacrificed and its blood smeared on the doorposts and lintels of the houses. And then you can read the story, but it would save the lives of the occupants, the firstborn sons in those houses. And that's what God instructed the Israelites. And then they were able to leave. No man could do it on their own to bring those, a whole nation of three and a half million people out of a country. But um, we know it happened and we know that God did it. God will do things in your life that you cannot do for yourself. There are things in your life right now and you're just desperate. You're probably saying, God, could you please unstick the mess? You know, because you know you can't do it yourself. You can't. You can't. There are things you... In fact, I'd go as far as to say that God will draw you in relationship with him through situations where you have no choice but to trust him because he doesn't want you to do it on your own. His relationship with you is such that he wants you to be drawn to him. And so when you go through these trials, these pressure points, this tough journey, the things you don't like, he's just saying, have a look at who you're putting your trust in. Is there love and trust and action in me? Or is it all about you? Is it all about your plan? Is that more important than me? So this festival, God ordained for the, uh, the Israelites to remember him. And they started immediately. And the most significant one, of course, is Passover. And then 50 days later, 50 days plus one, 
after the Passover, there is Pentecost, and then there's the Feast of Final Harvest. These three festivals, and they've got lots of different things going on in each one, but those three things are almost a picture of God's eternal plan for humanity. Do you realise that? Uh, Passover is Easter for us. Um, Passover is a pattern and picture of Easter, which Jesus Christ fulfilled. Pentecost is when God's Spirit came. Fifty days later, Pente means five, fifty. So, um, so that became a key point when the, the birth of the church and God's Spirit came to us. God sent us his Spirit. And then the, the Feast of Final Harvest. <laughs> Guess what that means? That's the eternal point of meeting with Jesus Christ in heaven, the whole restoration of the nations and, and what God is going to do through people of every tribe and tongue. You know, all around the world this weekend, at Easter, there are hundreds of millions of people doing what we're doing, celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not just Bromley. It's not just this little church. There are hundreds of millions of people on this planet in virtually every country in this world, Different languages praising God. I'd love to do what we do at New Year, and we get all the different languages in our service to stand up and say, praise the Lord. We should do that again this coming New Year, just to celebrate in our own, in, in our own language what God has done. God has got a huge plan. And, but, you know, in the Jewish Passover, just reflect on this for a moment with me. There are four cups, actually, four cups of wine, drunk ceremonially through Passover and the Passover meal. And on the Thursday night when Jesus had the Last Supper, you've heard of the Last Supper, they were celebrating Passover in that supper, which was this whole, you know, this whole thing that happened three and a half thousand years ago. And in it is actually four cups of wine that are drunk. And the Jews, um, they, they follow this pattern. They still do it today. This Passover, they'll do exactly the same thing. And the first cup is the cup that represents, I will take you out. This is God saying, I will take you out. And they recite the Kiddush which is a blessing and sanctification. They thank God for taking them out of bondage, taking them out of the, 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 where they were snared. That's like sin. Sin keeps you in bondage. Sin controls you. You think you're independent. Sin is controlling your life if you haven't got faith in Jesus Christ. Sin is fighting for your soul. Let me tell you, sin is fighting for your soul. It is a full-blown spiritual confrontation for your eternity. Sin is trying to destroy you like you wouldn't believe. Don't say doing the odd bad thing is okay. It's not okay. Sin is going to try and destroy you to the nth degree. You can justify yourself as long as you like. Sin will win if you let sin control you. We read about it in the New Testament, that it's, our journey is about getting that sin out of our lives and dealing with it. I'll take you out. That, they recite the Kiddush. The second cup during their meal is, I will save you. And they read the, the story of how they came out of Egypt. And they celebrate the fact, and they remember, I will save you. This is what the Jews are doing at Passover this year. I'll redeem you is the third cup. And they recite the grace. They recognize the grace of God I will redeem you. Redemption. The word redemption comes in at this point. I will, I will draw you to myself. Come in Jesus Christ. Come in. He becomes our spotless lamb. He becomes the sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. He becomes that spotless lamb. And when we put our faith in him, all our sin is appropriated on Jesus Christ. He represents us before God. And the price is paid once for all time, for all eternity. That's why you come to faith once. You give your life to Jesus Christ with your whole heart. And, your, and salvation kicks in. And justification kicks in. 
This, this incredibly spiritual thing happens. You may not even understand what's happening. But God, once for all time, deals with your sin when you come to him authentically. That's what, I'll redeem you. And Jesus at the Last Supper, they, they did this. They had this cup of redemption. It's incredible. If you want to explore this further, you could spend hours looking at it. And Jesus said, I will not do this again until we drink in the end. This cup in the, in the end, in heaven, what's that final cup? I'll take you as a nation. Everyone who has put their trust in Jesus will be gathered together to Christ. That's what they're going to do. We be, I don't know if you can get this. This is absolutely huge. We're now talking about eternity here. He will gather from all around the world, from every planet, nation, tribe and tongue, every different colour, every different background, every different ethnicity. God will gather them all in one enormous nation of people in his kingdom. That's what God's doing. It's huge. It's massive. It's not little BCC. It's not little Bromley. It's not little UK. It's not whether it's this or that. It's huge. His kingdom is the only kingdom in the whole of creation that has never been destroyed. Do you know that? The kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you're in it if you put your trust in him. You're in it. And he's given you the right and it's free. He doesn't stop you. He said, get the bigger picture. God has been planning this for thousands of years. So at the Passover, supper, Jesus was there with his disciples. Thursday evening with the disciples, he washes their feet. Some of you are so proud of yourselves, the courage of heaven and earth washed his disciples' feet the night he was killed. It's huge. It's huge. God, who knows everything, stooped himself so low. How much lower can you go? How much, how much lower can you go? Some of us are so proud. We live in that place where, no, my life's more important. My set of presumptions are more important. What I believe in, what more, I can do what I like. I can, I can live with one foot in the world. You know what, I can dabble around with stuff called sin. Yeah, I like it because it's fun. Yeah, but it's killing people around this earth. And God gave his life for us to get rid of that stuff. But you're living with one foot in that world And sometimes you live with both feet in that world. And God says, no, 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 no. You live in my kingdom because my kingdom's everlasting. And in that kingdom, you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find your purpose. You'll find everything I've prepared for you. It's called obedience, but it's also called love and trust and action. He loved you so much, he did something about that love. He did it for us. He did what you and I can't do. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. And Jesus shed his blood. He was our spotless lamb. There are many believers in BCC. Was it last weekend? I'm losing track that we had a baptism. It was, wasn't it? We're every month now, I'm phenomenal testimonies of people's lives changing. And every month now, we're seeing baptisms in the church. And people are responding to the gospel. And, and another life changed in the second service. And it's just extraordinary. It's just some amazing things going on. But people get caught up in the, the stuff around church. And I had a great conversation with a dear friend of mine recently. And we talked about a maze. <laughs> it was amazing, actually. <laughs> Heaver Castle that has a maze. And uh, if you've ever been there, it's quite interesting. It's always difficult to get to the centre, isn't it? Do you remember as a kid, I used to do this. I used to love those maze books. And I could, I, you know, you're coming through the outside bit and you, you try and get to the centre of the maze and you end up down blind alleys and you hit that. And you think, oh, I can't do it. I discovered the secret is to go to the centre of the maze and work out. Go straight into the centre, start with your pen in the middle, and then you can see the route out. It's a whole lot easier. It's a bit like that with our Christian faith. Jesus gets you straight into the centre of the relationship with him, straight away. 
when you give your life to him, when you surrender, you can't figure out all the paths around it. Those paths have got, they'll take you somewhere. They'll take you up a dead end. They'll take you into places of confrontation. They'll take you up barriers. They'll, they'll take you, you know, you might have a religious view. You might have a relationship view. You might have a, a career view. You might have a frustrated view. You might have a disappointed view. And you're stuck up a dead end. And Jesus says, just come to the middle. Just stop all the nonsense. And I've given you direct access to the middle of life. I'll give you direct access. And today you can get right into the middle of his plan and then you can work out how to, to move around it. You can step into parts of that maze and just take a view and then get back into the middle. And today it could be about that for you, about getting into the middle with Jesus Christ. What led us to Easter? Jesus' love, his trust and his action. What does Easter mean for me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Personal relationship. He met God in front of a burning bush. Another huge story. That led to the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. But God said, I am who I am, Yahweh, my eternal name. We spring forward into the New Testament. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own authority, but say only what the Father has taught me. You see, he was a man under authority. who's God, but put himself under authority on this earth. We have to do the same thing. We take the authority of the name of Jesus and it gives us ability to do things and change things that you cannot do on your own. It's under his authority. Extraordinary. So John 19 says, um, if we look back at the actual story of the crucifixion, it says in John 19, 1-4, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put a purple robe on, on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm, not, I'm going to bring him out now, but understand clearly, clearly that I find him not guilty. The Romans found him not guilty. He is the spotless, sinless lamb, not guilty. He's the centre of our faith, and there are more than 300 prophetic words over a thousand years before this even happened that it was going to happen. God made it so clear. It's in our scriptures. It's in the the word of God, the Bible, that collection of books and letters that he would die. And John 19, 6 goes on to say, when they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him, take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. Not guilty. He's not guilty. That's what makes him sinless, spotless. He didn't sin. The man who never sinned. Does it make any difference in this world that Jesus did it? Of course it does. You know, all around the world, people are celebrating Easter. And even in London on Friday, there was this amazing um, production of the crucifixion, the story of Jesus Christ. And this was Friday night, Friday afternoon in London. This is in the centre of our capital city, one of the most important cities in the world. And what did Jesus say to, those, to the guards around him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. You see, God's so big. He does the work for us. Even Jesus was doing the work for the guards around him. He was, he was making a way for them. He made a way probably for Barabbas. We don't know the full true story of Barabbas' life. But that production brilliantly illustrated how God does what we cannot do. God does what we cannot do. And this is London, the capital city of England, one of the biggest cities in the world, with this going on in our Trafalgar Square. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it incredible? So... Jesus said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, and that's you and I. But, you know, Jesus went to the cross with two others, and, and one of them we know 
became a follower of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the other one just criticised. These two contrasts at the point of death and and misery, and today you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) I mean, that is incredible. You might be, you don't know what's going to happen this week. You do not know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen Tuesday or Wednesday. Or th- you don't know anything. You just know you'll go to work, you'll go to college, something will happen, and you've got to navigate it. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus, but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. Jesus was dead. He died. It's in the Scriptures to say he did die. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. A fulfilment of the prophecies in the Bible before he even was born. It's incredible. So, you know, then what happened? It says between 12 o'clock and 3 p.m. on Good Friday, on on that Friday afternoon, the sky went black. Jesus cried, cried out a number of things, but he cried out and said, It is finished. The graves were opened. The temple curtain tore from top to bottom. There was nothing separating us from direct access to the Holy of Holies. Extraordinary what, what Jesus did. It's extraordinary. But by one man's obedience, the many were made sinners. That's the, talking about Adam in the Old Testament. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Incredible, isn't it? The one man's obedience. You don't know what's the other side of obedience. It just looks like sin will tell you being obedient is control. Being obedient is religious. Being obedient is restrictive. Let me tell you, by being, to, being obedient to God, by putting your trust in Jesus, there's a whole life that will change not only your life, it will change the life of everybody around you. You just think, you just think, because you're human like me, that God can't touch the things around you. It's not true. He will break into everything. His power is way... In fact, it says, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in me. It's in you. It's in us. Why? Because he's equipped us to do the things he needs us to do. He's not left us as orphans. We've become sons. All these scriptures are rattling through my head right now. Why? Because God's promised it and it's true. It's just that we see things like obedience and think, oh, that's not for me. I'm not religious. We don't want you to be religious. We want you to be courageous. Courageous. We want you to be full of love and full of trust and we want you to take action. That's what obedience is. It's about courageous living. It's about doing the things that others don't want to do. Why? Because they have no faith. You've got stuff in you that other people are desperate for. You've got the truth of the Word of God living and active in your life. And all we've got to do is show our love for Jesus by doing what he says, trust it, and then take action. It's incredible, isn't it? It's exactly what Jesus did for us. We live and die, but Christ died and lived. It's awesome, isn't it? God created human beings. If we just reflect for a moment back to Genesis. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, fill the earth and govern it. You see, God, right at the beginning, gave the earth to humanity. He gave the responsibility for leading to humanity. He gave it to us. You say, what, what, one of the big objections, look at all the things in the world. But God gave it to us. God gave the world to humanity. He put Adam in the garden and said, there you go, look after it, tend it. He didn't. Because sin dominated. And now the world is full of sin. It doesn't do what God said. But he still said at the very beginning, fill the earth and govern it. And look what happens when the world governs this world. Look at the result of sin in this world. Look at that slide. Brussels this week. Who would have thought that in Brussels, 31 people would have been killed? Hundreds and hundreds of people injured. 
people don't know what the answer is. I can tell you the answer is not to sin, right? The answer is to step away from sin because if you live in sin, that's where you end up. You end up in misery because sin has many goals. It has a goal to kill you and to create fear, to lie and to cause doubt, to trap people by guilt. Sin will be a snare. The scriptures tell us sin is a snare, but you have a way of what, you have the ability to step out of the sin in this world by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And even though we mess up and we do, and there's no perfect people, but when we mess up, we just go, God, we're gonna, I'm sorry, I'm gonna move on. We're gonna get it right next time. And we work at it, we work at it, we work at it. Why? Because we know we're doing the right thing. Because we know this kingdom that was never been defeated is gonna be ultimately the kingdom that lasts forever. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. God gave this earth to us and the world is messing up what God has created. That's what's going on here. We have a choice. We can either say, it doesn't matter. But that's what happens when you, don't, when you take that view. That's what, that's what happens. Look at those candles. Look at the people's hearts and lives that are broken by this. And you've seen the pictures. There's far worse pictures than this. But that's what happens when you let sin dominate your thinking. There's a huge spiritual fight going on in this world and we need the power of God in our lives to change us and change the world around us. We need it. You can't do it on your own. We have to do and choose the right thing. The final question is, what about today? It says, the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid because Mary and another Mary, two Marys went to the tomb. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. He's overcome sin. Just as he, he said he would, come see where his body was laying. It's an empty tomb. There is no religion in this world where there's an empty tomb of its founder. Only in Christianity. Why? Because Jesus isn't religious. He is the Son of God. And he's in heaven right now. And he is calling his people to action, to be obedient, to stop living as if the world is all about you. That's what he's doing. Stop living as though it's you and your world. It's not. It's him and his world. And it's his kingdom. And he says, if you live it on your own and you're disobedient, you'll end up in a mess, just like the previous slide. But he says, no, come to me. Because if you love me, you'll trust me. and You'll do what I say. And I'll save you from so much stuff that gets messed up in life. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's what all this is about. This is what Easter is. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. And there's a brilliant verse, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? An eternity of separation from God. Brussels forever. It's nuts. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved saved that's it it's that simple that's it he's done everything he's done the pre-planning he's worked it all out he's given himself he's given his life and all we've got to do is confess our sins and believe confess with your mouth that Jesus in fact it doesn't even say confess your sins it says confess that Jesus is Lord so you don't even have to get the sin sorted out yet you just confess that he's Lord and he'll work on that stuff with you Isn't it incredible? That's the grace of God, that third cup, the grace of God, the redemptive grace of God in our lives. Now, I think we should just stand for a moment. Adam, join me. It's Easter Sunday. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a really great and upbeat song. But right now, I just feel 
but I want to put a challenge out to all of us. Maybe you just totally disagree with me. Maybe you think I'm a nut job. Or maybe you think this half of what I've said is true. I am basing my presentation this morning on three and a half thousand years of practice and the truth of what God's Word says. And this room is full of people whose lives have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never actually said, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus this, this morning. I'm going to do that because that is a better thing for me to do than all the other stuff I'm doing. And maybe... Maybe you've actually done that in the past, but you are miles away from God this morning. Maybe you just don't feel anywhere near Him. Maybe you feel like your life is cold. This morning, I'm just going to pray the simplest of prayers. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That is entering the kingdom of God. And He helps all the other stuff. He starts to navigate that route. But maybe this morning, that's you and you just... Know in your heart, today is the day I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to be obedient to what the Word of God says, and that is to surrender my life and to trust Him with my life because He can do a better job than I can. So let's just bow our heads. I'm going to pray this short prayer. And if you pray it with me, today, once for all time, things will change. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth that you loved us and that you gave your life for every one of us and that individually you would have done that no matter what the cost. And today, I want to respond to this truth that you gave your life to pay the price for all my sin. Today, I want to make you Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen.